gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast The New 52 Adventures of Superman I've got a few things to say about Superman The Carousel Podcast The Superman Vidcast The World's Best Podcast And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com Join hosts Michael Bradley John Wilson Billy Hogan Charlie Niemeyer J. David Weeder Jeffrey Taylor Michael Bailey Scott Gardner Danny Sapp Cayman Stoll I'm Isaac I'm Adam Dave Yunus and co-host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another exciting romp in the Bronze Age. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and this is the first episode of Team Up Month, and as such, we're going to look at the first issue of, a, of the Superman Team Up book, DC Comics Presents. Now, this book was originally launched back in 1978, in part due to the DC explosion, and in part due to the upcoming release of Superman the Movie, which was originally scheduled for a summer 1978 release before delays pushed back. But before we get into that, I'd like to point out that this episode is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. A mainstay of the collected edition market, InStock Trades has over 13,000 individual trade paperback, graphic novel, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship, all at great discounted prices. And most orders ship within 48 hours, and any orders over $50 ship for free. You can find them on the web at www.instocktrades.com and be sure to follow InStock Trades on Twitter and you'll receive notices on the deals of the week. Now that the holidays are around the corner, this is a great way to do some holiday shopping. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! Hello. I'm the Doctor. 
Charlie's Geekcast, coming January 1st, 2013 to charliesgeekcast.blogspot.com. Hey, Johnny, it's been a while. Yeah, it's a good thing we're off our hiatus. Yeah, now we can finally get back to talking about some classic Daredevil issues. What if we threw some current Daredevil in there? You mean the awesome Mark Wade run? Sure, I'd love to talk about that stuff. Awesome. So if any of our listeners want to join us again, or if any listeners want to join us along the way, they can listen to From Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast. It's found on iTunes and at fromyellowtored.libsyn.com. Yay! We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, DC Comics presents number one. This issue had a cover date of July 1978. Actually, it had a cover date of, well, it's July-August because it started off as a bi-monthly book. But if you look at the cover, it's actually August 1978. It had a release date of April 3rd, 1978 and a cover price of just 35 cents. And speaking of the cover, this is a fantastic Jose Luis Garcia Lopez cover. Uh, featuring a dynamic shot that beautifully showcases the stars of this issue in what appears to be a bit of a trouble. A bit of a trouble? No, a bit of trouble. It's fun stuff. Uh, And you'll see it in the graphic for this episode. The title of the episode is Superman and the Flash teaming up in Chase to the End of Time. Written by Martin Pascoe, penciled by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, inked by Dan Atkins, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by ye old Julie Schwartz. Our story begins in the small town of Rosemont, where a strange spacecraft has landed. Superman arrives from Metropolis to investigate the landing, where a quick scan of the ship with his microscopic vision reveals something too incredible to believe. So incredible that he doesn't let us know what it is yet. While Superman switches to X-ray vision and sees that the ship is empty, he finds himself being hit by a vibration beam that causes him to vibrate at an incredible rate. After finally getting out of the path of the beam, Superman watches in surprise as the beam hits the spacecraft, destroying it. Meanwhile, Flash enters Rosemont from Central City to investigate the landing as well, and arrives just as the beam targets the on targets and starts hitting the town, causing it to disappear. At this point, Superman crosses paths with the Scarlet Speedster, and together they realize that the beam is causing Rosemont to vibrate so fast, it's actually slipping into another dimension. So Superman takes the aluminum roof off of a nearby car wash, uses his heat vision to melt it, and reshapes the roof into a giant spatula, which he uses to scoop up the people and get them out to safety. While he's doing all of this, Flash runs around the town at super speed, creating counter-vibrations that cancel out the beam and brings Rosemont back to our dimension. Moving on to page 5, yes, all of that happened in just four pages, Superman uses his cape to block the beam and follows it up to its source, an even larger spacecraft, which his microscopic vision reveals to be made of the same incredible yet still unrevealed matter that the smaller ship was made of. Meanwhile, down below, Flash accidentally runs into the path of another beam that traps him in a force bubble that lifts him up, up, and away into space. Back up in the spaceship, or actually back up at the spaceship, another spacecraft has appeared and fires a laser at the first ship. At this point, Superman reveals via Thought Bubble that the ships are composed of living cells, meaning that they're actually living beings. So he blocks the laser shot, to prevent the first ship from being killed. Then, 
The new ship shows off a view screen, and and an alien communicates to him via telepathy to point out that he has taken the Flash. This preoccupies the Man of Steel enough for him to also be caught in a force bubble, except that his force bubble starts draining his strength. But he is able to see the two ships grow appendages that allow them to dock together before the drainage causes him to pass out. When he regains consciousness, both heroes are inside cages and are introduced to Islane, leader of the Volkir, and Alim, leader of the Zelkot, sworn enemies of the Volkir. They explain that there is no use in trying to escape, as Superman's cage is made of Q energy, which affects Superman much the same way as Kryptonite, and the walls of Flash's cell can change their density, preventing him from being able to vibrate out. So, with some prodding from Superman, angry prodding, by the way, the aliens explain that they have no interest in Earth. The ship was piloted by a Zelkot revolutionary named Ilar, and they're just trying to, to stop him. Well, the Volkir are. Apparently, this, this kind of thing happens constantly. See, the Volkir and the Zelkot have warred across the universe for billions of Earth's years, and those planets that have been caught in the middle are usually destroyed. When Superman asks what they're fighting for, they reply, nothing. For they've been battling for so long that the reason for their civil war has been lost to time. At one point, ancestors of both the Volkir and the Zelkot left their home planet and took up residence on Earth way back before there was any life on it. But when they left, the waste matter from their living ships was actually single-celled organisms that ended up laying the seeds for life on Earth. After leaving Earth, the aliens started a civil war between each other that caused them to split into two factions and the Zelkot ancestors found a planet in a red sun system and stayed there after taming the natural upheavals that would have destroyed the planet. After explaining all of this, Islane and Alum decide to kill the heroes by causing Flash's cage to close in on itself and increasing the Q energy in Superman's cage. They do this because Flash and Superman are the only two men on Earth who could possibly stop their plans. But... By just vibrating gently, Flash is able to slip out of his cage without its density changing, then knocks out Alum and turns off Superman's cage. He quickly breaks out and takes out Islane, but then Alum's crew shows up and reveals that Ilar was sent to the future to stop their civil war. When Superman corrects them, they recorrect him. See, according to them, time flows in a circle. And since Zelkot technology only allows for forward time travel, he was sent to the far future, where, at the end of time, there exists a cosmic curtain that connects the end of time to the beginning of time. Once he passes through that curtain, he will continue through time, sort of into the future, but actually in the past. It's very difficult to explain. Uh, but he will continue through time until their civil war starts, and will somehow prevent it. Since Flash was proven to be the faster of the two heroes way back in World's Finest number 199, which I covered back in episode 3, if you care to listen to me as a rookie, they want Flash to catch up to him in the future to, to help him past any obstacles that the Volcare may have prepared for him and to help him through the Cosmic Curtain. If he doesn't, they will activate the vibrational beam again to vibrate Earth into nothingness. So, soon, with no other option... Flash returns to Earth and runs his way forward in the time stream, which he's able to do without his cosmic treadmill because he's not trying to f 
pinpoint an exact time or there, which he can do without his cosmic treadmill because he doesn't have to have, or he doesn't have to pinpoint an exact moment in time. He soon finds himself in the 25th century, where he literally runs into something just as fast as him, if not faster. Back in the ship in the 20th century, the Volkir crew show up and send Superman to stop Flash and Ilar. See, if Ilar stops the Civil War, the Zelikot ancestors will never split off to that planet in the Red Sun system, which I mentioned earlier, which, believe it or not, was Krypton. That's right. Remember how I said that they tamed the natural upheavals that would have destroyed it? Well, if the Zelikot don't go there when they did, the Kryptonaut would have... Kryptonaut? Then Krypton would have blown up centuries. Centuries? Then Krypton would have blown up centuries earlier than it actually did. Therefore, Superman would never have been born. So while Superman decides that his life is more important than Earth, he heads off to the future, and we see that what Flash ran into in the 25th century was actually Professor Zoom, the Reverse Flash, who proceeds to hit the dazed Scarlet Speedster with several super-speed punches that knock him out, with the promise that soon he'll be a dead Flash. To be continued. That was pretty cool, wasn't it? Um, for my notes on page 3, we see that Metropolis is 322 miles away, and Central City is 102 miles away. My question, first of all, is how did Superman get there first? Why would the two of them be the only two superheroes to investigate this? And how coincidental that the two heroes that these aliens were trying to... were actually needed to get because they were the only ones that could possibly stop them were the only two heroes that just happened to show up. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, but on the other hand... It's pretty. It was a pretty interesting way to bring the heroes together, so I'm not going to knock it too much, but it's a little too much of a coincidence for my taste. Page 4. It's nice to have the Flash there to explain what's happening while he runs around doing nothing. While Superman's doing all his work, Flash is just running at super speed, doing the play-by-play. -play. It's weird. On page 8, uh, we find out, thanks to one of the patent-pending captions, or editor notes, sorry, on page 8, thanks to an editor's note, we find out that Superman first encountered Q-Energy way back in Superman number 204 from February 1968. So this would have been about the time while Pasco was actually an avid reader and a letter writer, so it makes sense that he would remember it. I think, though, that he's one of the few that do, because I've been reading various Bronze Age stories for several years now, and I say several because I don't want to reveal that it's been about 15. And um, this is the first time that I've ever come across even a mention of Q energy. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, also on this page, Superman gets very angry at these guys. And this era of Superman, as I've mentioned several times in the past, usually doesn't get very... Yeah, doesn't usually get angry very often, due in part to, you know, him needing to maintain control over his um, you know, su superpowers. So seeing him getting angry here is somewhat monumental. Speaking, but back to the Q energy, it does kind of add to the confusion. They got rid of Q energy or kryptonite way back in 1971. You think that Q energy would be something that they could use in its place occasionally, but they never use it at all. So I'm wondering what's going on with that. If anyone knows, please feel free to write in. Superbronze1970 at gmail.com.
Uh, page 13. Now this is interesting. Superman assumes that the Delcots want his help, which makes sense as this is basically his book, but actually they want Flash, because he proved to be faster. Now, as I recall way back in episode 3, which, forgive me, that's 58 episodes ago, um, in almost two years, wow. Um, it was kind of a dubious ending to the race. So I don't know that they would really count that. And amazingly, I can't believe that that news has gone intergalactic, but okay. Uh, page 14. I find it interesting that an alien culture that... Uh, yeah. I find it interesting that an alien culture would use a timeline based on Earth time, even pointing out the birth of Christ to show the switch from B.C. to A.D., I mean, maybe they're just doing it for their benefit, but I don't know, still. For a planet that they had no interest in, they sure do go through a lot to explain things to our heroes. Not to mention the fact that they speak English. So, uh, Page 17. Also, was anyone else surprised that the unnamed planet that was specified as being in a red sun system was Krypton? And don't you think it's a bit out of character for Superman to be willing to sacrifice Earth so he can live? I hope he's faking or something. But, yeah, the uh, whole Krypton thing wasn't much of a surprise once they specified it. It's like being surprised to see Mixius Pitalik when they mentioned that, oh, uh, we ended up on some fifth-dimensional world called Zerf. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. Uh, page 18. Again, we get another shock that I bet you guys saw coming. When Flash mentioned he was in the 25th century, was anyone else out there surprised to see... Professor Zoom showed up? Not me either. Um, overall, though, I thought this was a fun, if uneven, story. We have so much stuff happen in the first six or seven pages, and then it all comes to basically a screeching halt so that we can get the entire backstory of the Valkyr and the Zelkot. Plus, there are a couple of supposed surprises that weren't really surprises to anyone that's actually read a Superman or a Flash comic in the past or even a Justice League comic, so... Um, although the living spaceship thing was a bit of a shock to me. Uh, I'm, and I'm not sure how I feel about the time as a circle theory, but ironically, I had Doctor Who on while I was writing, typing up the notes, so it, for some reason it seemed to make it all a bit more plausible. Uh, I should point out, though, that this, like many other stories, was a lot more fun before I had to start picking it apart for this review, so... Yeah, I probably... Well, I still would have noticed the uneven story. I don't know that I... Well, I probably would have just chalked up the surprises to, you know, written for kids. Although this is pretty... This is some pretty sophisticated kids for this story. Um, as for the art, this is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. I don't think I really need to say any more beyond that. I mean... This is the guy that was being groomed to replace Kurt Swan as the premier Superman artist before he proved to be too slow for a monthly comic book. Ironically, he's launching a monthly comic book, but we'll get into that later. Um, plus, he has since become the marketing artist for DC, so basically if you have purchased something with a DC character appearing on it, odds are it was drawn by Lopez. So, 
this is a very recognizable version of both of our heroes and very good action shots very good drama uh, Superman sweats while he's in the Q energy cage I mean it's as much as I like Kurt Swan I think that this is more energetic is all I'm going to say for right now now there's a few places where Dan Atkins inks hurt a little bit uh, they kind of overpower it and make it look a little more old school, I guess I would say. See, Dan Adkins has been around for a while. In fact, I've, I'd have to look. I want to say he inked some Kurt Swan stuff shortly before the Bronze Age uh, re, uh, kind of relaunch with when Murphy Anderson came on. So that's how long Adkins has been around. So you know, it's kind of old school inks on new school pencils. So yeah. Um, but when he lets the pencils be a little more dominant, the art is fantastic. And I did look ahead to next issue a little bit. There's one panel I have a problem with. I will get back to that next episode, though. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Now, as for the ads in this issue, for the inside back cover, we have Johnny Bench writing the toughest pitcher I ever faced. Which really isn't a pitcher... It's uh, it's basically a pole with a ball attached to the end of a string, and you can use it to, you know, hit the ball with a bat. It's not really a pitcher. Next ad is, <clears throat> wow, free bikes, burgers, and candy bars. A 50,000 prizes a month giveaway with no purchase necessary. Each month you could win one of 30 Super Ross bicycles, 25,000 Burger King gift certificates, or 25,000 Nabisco candy bars. So that's pretty cool actually. You get the you get bikes, Burger King, or Nabisco. I can't, you know, I can't fault that. Next page is uh, two half ads. The top half is you can be a major league coach. In Dice Baseball, you are the coach. It's up to you to pick your team, direct your players, and make the big decisions. Not sure how this works. If anyone listening could help me out with that, please let us know. Because it almost sounds like a fantasy team using baseball cards. So I'm not completely sure. Maybe some dice in some way. Uh, the bottom half is Get Rich and Famous for the famous Clark Bars. They're all so rich and so good, you may have trouble making up your mind. And the ones we have for 1978 are the Clark Bar Coconut, the Clark Bar Peanut Butter Log, which sounds a little yucky, uh, Crunchy Peanut Butter Bar, the Zagnut, the Mint Dark Chocolate Bar, and the regular Clark Bar. Interesting. Uh, the next ad. Batman's Strangest Cases. Five of the weirdest, most awesome Dark Knight detective thrillers ever published. Uh, let's see. From what I can tell, we've got The Demon of Gotho's Mansion. Another one I can't make out on this page. Uh, these will probably be in the Elsewhere's feature, but I'll still go over the... Anyway, uh, Red Water Crimson Death. All of these look like they got some pretty cool art. Um, Night of the Bat, which appears to be a 
Oh, where he meets uh, Swamp Thing. So that's cool. And the Batman Nobody Knows. That's cool, too. Uh, 80 Gigantic Pages featuring story and art by Neil Adams, Dick Giordano, Irv Novick, Denny O'Neill, Frank Robbins, Lynn Ween, and Bernie Wrightson on sale this month. And it's two bucks. So I'm tr- and uh, for 80 pages, I'm thinking it's a giant size reprint, maybe tabloid size. That'd be cool. I'd look. Uh, the next ad page is again two half page ads. The top half is satisfy your smeat tooth, smeat, satisfy your meat tooth, and we see a uh, a vampire chowing down on some slim jims. A little less than a meal little more than a snack. And the bottom half is an ad, you know, for kids to sell grit. The next page, beginning June 1st, the DC Explosion. More pages, more stories, and the most exciting superheroes in comics. Watch for full details next month. And this ad, drawn by Joe Staten, uh, features, we've got Hawkman, looks like the Earth-1 Hawkman, Enemy Ace, Big Barda, the original Ray, uh, Omac, uh, the Atom, a G1, or G1, wow, that's Transformers, Earth 1 Atom, Martian Manhunter, Dead Man, and a couple I don't know. Um, one is in a really ugly outfit, and the other one is a woman in not much of an outfit at all. So, yeah. Maybe Warlord? Uh, the next page we've got two half page ads again the top half is make extra cash with no real selling just show this sample we give you free uh, for personalized metals, social security and other plates okay and the bottom half is a fun factory ad uh, which is in Palisades Park, New Jersey Uh, the switchblade comb is what they have um Mini skull flashlight, a flesh-eating plant, the spud gun, uh, you know, all those little novelty items. The next page, again, we have half page, two half-page ads. The top half, the sound and the fury of the war, of the DC war thrillers. Both are on sale this month. Sergeant Rock in the DC Spectacular uh, and Fighting Forces featuring the losers. So those are cool. The bottom half is now you can read all about it in DC's new monthly newspaper, Direct Currents. All the latest DC news, an advanced look at upcoming DC covers, inside information on DC movies, TV shows, books, and other special projects, and a glimpse into the lives of the DC creative superstars. 12-issue subscription, only $4. So that's kind of cool. It's not terrible at all. That to me looks like another Joe Staten art, bit of artwork uh, featuring a giant 13 by 18 poster cover which I'm guessing is what this artwork is from and if I'm looking at this right we've got Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman The Huntress from Earth 2 obviously uh, Flash from Earth 1 uh, Black Lightning Shade the Changing Man Fla- uh, Flash wow, Firestorm and Sergeant Rock so that's kind of cool. Uh, let's see. Next page is a full-page ad for TV posters, giant wall-sized wall size posters in full color, which is ironic because this page is all in black and white. Uh, 
your free wall poster is for Starsky and Hutch with every order of three or more posters. And these are posters, uh, you've got the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders, Angie Dickinson, Farrah Fawcett Majors. Uh, the example they show for Farrah Fawcett is not the most famous one, but it appears she's not wearing much, and but sitting in a way that things are covered. We'll just put it that way. Uh, Christy McNichol, uh, Linda Carter, Saturday Night Fever, Parker Stevenson, John Travolta, Sean Cassidy, Fleetwood Mac, Kiss, Bee Gees, Andy Gibb, and the Suzanne Summers is also points out that it's Christy, and it's really making a big deal of showing out her um, large assets, I guess we'll call it. So, yeah. Uh, the next is a, next page is another half page, two half page ads again. The top half is some more of those um, hodgepodge ads. Play the guitar, selling comic books, join the gold rush, Atlas Body, Karate, stuff like that. The bottom half is for strong arms, learning how to, you know, do better exercises. Mike Marvel's scientific isometrics. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next page is another hodgepodge ad. You can get your high school diploma and ring. X-ray specs. Comic conventions in New York and Philadelphia. Buy, sell, trade comics. Meet DC and Marvel staff. Learn about the Superman film. Free info. That's pretty cool, actually, but I wouldn't have been able to go because I wasn't born yet. Uh, let's see. Poem set to music. Another comic list. Uh, selling coins. Cartoon for money. Muscles fast. That kind of thing. Next page is a full-page house ad. The battle nearly four decades in the making. Superman versus Shazam! An all-new 70-page tabloid, or 72-page tabloid thriller by Jerry Conway, Rick Butler, and Dick Giordano, which will be reviewed soon for this show, so stay tuned. And like I said last episode, this, uh, this book's actually about to get reissued uh, in the next few months. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and, of course, the tabloid edition for Welcome Back, Cotter, Welcome the comic back. book, with four outrageous stories and a special behind-the-scenes look at the TV show. Was Welcome Back, Cotter really that pop? I mean, I know it, got a co- I know it actually got a comic back in the 70s from DC Comics, one of their DC TV comics, but was it really that popular that they would give it a tabloid edition book too? Wow. Huh. Anyway. Uh, and let's see. Next ad page is a free booklet for the, basically the Charles Atlas thing. Uh, inside back cover is DC superhero collectors everywhere. Want to make your DC Superheroes collection really complete? Then be sure to have all six Tempo DC Superheroes activity books and all six DC comics in paperback. Superhero activity books for hours of fun, featuring the Super Friends, Batman and Robin, as they play with numbers, Batman, the supervillain mazes, Wonder Woman, which has a feature that I can't make out on this, Crime Busters, I think, Crime Busting maybe Superman's Maze Challenge and Superman something else word find basically a word find I think yeah 
Weird. Uh, and then the DC paperback comics in paperback books uh, featuring Batman, Superman, Legion of Superheroes, Wonder Woman, World's Finest, and Justice League. Uh, now my guess, judging by what I can make out from these covers, is that these are actual DC comics reprinted in small paperback form probably black and white since this is before the DC digests so it's actually kind of cool really weird I you know I've known that they did this because thanks to listening to hey kids comics I know that they did this kind of thing with uh, the Star Wars uh, books back uh, when the Star Wars comics were being released by Marvel so maybe it's the same thing I don't know I have a it's not by these guys though and it's not one of the books featured here but I do have a Superman's origin book that basically reprints Action Comics 500 in a small paperback and they rearrange the panels some of them are shrunk down some of them are blown up to fit the page but you know if you try to just make it f each page fit in a in one of these pages for a small paperback book there's no way you'd be able to read any of it and it was black and white too so I wonder Hmm. I've never even seen these before. I wonder they're only a dollar twenty five each. I wonder what they're like. And the back page is for the is a little comic feature for the Super Siren by Empire. And basically what it is is a horn for your bike so that you know you don't have to worry about getting run over by cars that aren't paying attention. And from the sound of this, um, it goes woo woo woo. So, you. Now, we have a hostess ad this issue, and once again, it's one that I couldn't find that the guys over at the Two True Freaks took care of. So, you kit me again. And this one is Aquaman in The Imperiled Sub. Aquaman and Aqualad are out for a pleasant gallop on the waves when. Holy catfish, Aquaman! A tidal wave, coming fast! We'll be thrown on the rocks! Dive, youngster, dive! Deep enough, we'll be okay. Look! A miniature research sub! They're not powerful enough to outrun that tidal wave. They'll be crushed, unless... And the Lord of the Seas calls upon his telepathic powers to bring a horde of friendly dolphins alongside. These dolphins will get the sub to shore, fast. I mean, then, on the shore... One last push and the sub will be safe on land. Sometime later, our rescue calls for celebration. Have some of our hostess quick Twinkie cakes. One good turn deserves another. You'll like the moist, rich cake and delightful cream filling as much as we do. I'll ride a tidal wave for these delicious cakes anytime. And you get a big delight in every bite of hostess Twinkie cakes. Um, I guess the only thing I have to ask is why a research sub is stocked with Twinkies. A small two-man sub. I don't know. But, yeah. Uh, that's another exciting adventure in Hostess Land. Um, with the yellow sky, which is kind of gross. Next up, we have Elsewhere, Elsewhere in, in the, the DC, DC multiverse. multiverse. The other books that came out in April of 1978 in an alphabetical order Apparently, we have Action Comics 485, which, other than a little bit of um, news story at the beginning and the end, is basically a reprint of Superman 233. 
featuring, you know, Kryptonite Nevermore. Uh, Superboy is in Adventure Comics number 458, and it looks like Mom and Pa Kent are sending Superboy to the Phantom Zone. All-Star Comics number 73, featuring the Justice Society of America. Uh, the Huntress uh, is against someone. We also have the Sportsmaster and the End of Wildcat. Bum, bum, bum. Batman number 301, in which it looks like Batman has murdered a woman's husband. The only man Batman ever killed. Black Lightning number 10. Looks like we have Black Lightning versus the Trickster. And he's getting covered in some kind of purple goop. I'm not sure what that is. And also we get the other Black Lightning in this issue, which actually looks like a black Captain America wannabe. He's got the big shield and, yeah, and a jogging suit. You have to see it to believe it. Uh, Brave and the Bold, number 142, featuring Aquaman teaming up with Batman. And this is pretty awesome because Jim Aparo drew, used to draw the Aquaman comic back in the early 70s. And, of course, he draws Brave and the Bold and is really well-known as a Batman artist. So to have the two of them teaming up together is really cool. And he really gets to give a workout. Uh, let's see. DC Special Series number 13, the Sergeant Rock Super Spectacular excuse me, the Sergeant Rock Super Spectacular, which I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, and it looks like they're all new, so that's pretty cool. We have The Return of Clayface in Detective Comics number 478, which uh, actually is reprinted in the um, Strange Apparitions uh, trade paperback that collects the entire Steve Englehart Marshall Rogers story. This is the Clayface probably the first part of the Clayface story, which isn't actually written by Steve Englehart. I believe it's written by Lynn Ween, but it is penciled by Marshall Rogers. So that's cool. Uh, Flash, number 263, featuring the Flash and the against the Ringmaster and the Golden Glider. I don't know. Uh, she's apparently the villain. So yeah, we get uh, Flash versus the Golden Glider and Ringmaster. And Ringmaster doesn't look nearly as cool as his name suggests. Uh, Freedom Fighters number 15, which is basically... Yes, this features uh, the Freedom Fighters, which is weird. And they have deadly duplicates. So you see all of them in a tube, and then you see their duplicates melting into green goop. Really cool. Um, let's see. We have Green Lantern number 106, which is a Green Lantern-Green Arrow team-up. Uh, Death... Peril in high places and low. Not exactly sure what's happening here, but it looks like um, Green Arrow's being attacked by a tree, and Green Lantern can't save him without killing Green. Without can't save Green Arrow without killing him. It also apparently features Black Canary because I see her in the background, so that's cool. Karate Kid number fifteen, which has nothing to do with the movies. This is the uh, Karate Kid from the Legion of Superheroes, and this issue features a guest star, Commandy. So there you go. Uh, the Batman Strangest Cases, which does appear to have been a, which does appear to be a tabloid cover issue. Now this is supposed to, now this is a cover, get this, it's penciled by Neil Adams, inked by Bernie Wrightson, and colored 
to look a little more realistic than what you would normally see in a comic book. It almost looks painted. It's kind of cool. I mean, not kind of cool. It's really cool. And let's see. The ones I was telling you about from before. The Red Water Crimson Death. The Swamp Thing Issue Night of the Bat. The Batman Nobody Knows. The Demon of Galtho's Mansion. And A Vow from the Grave. So, those are what's in there. Plus some more stuff, I'm sure. I just can't tell because the cover's not big enough. New Gods, number 19. Which is actually Return of the New Gods, number 19. Um, with a Joe Staten cover, inked by Bob Layton. And in this issue, we get... Orion and Darkseid clashing in deadly final combat. Now, if you looked at this cover, though, uh, neither Orion nor Darkseid look like you would expect. Darkseid looks almost human proportion, but a giant head. And Orion's costume is very superhero-ish. Um, it doesn't look really anything at all like you would be expecting. In fact, he's not even wearing his helmet. It's really weird. Uh, Showcase 102, because at this point, Showcase came back for a little bit. Uh, Showcase presents Hawkman in a in a story titled Strange Adventures. And this is a new story. Um, so that's actually pretty cool. He actually is, and apparently Adam's, uh, not Adam Strange. Yeah. Adam Strange is in here. I knew that. Ha ha. But yeah, so that's pretty cool. But it's a brand new story. And Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 241. Uh, you. Uh, featuring what could be the Legion's greatest battle, or it could be the end of it. Um, the Legion are apparently being attacked by these weird-looking creatures, and the leader is a giant brain with tentacles that appears to be attacking Chameleon Boy. So, yeah. Less said about that, the better. Superman 325 features Superman fighting a giant hand coming out of the corner of the cover. Okay. Um, with an with a cover by Rick Butler and Joseph Rubenstein, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Superman Family, number 190. Uh, we see a story, well, the, based on the cover, we've got super, uh, Earth Dies in 10 Minutes, by the way. The cover shows Superman, Nightwing, and Flamebird uh, being pulled through something by Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, Supergirl, and Crypto. Now, I've never read this. Uh, it's possible it's just a symbolic cover, but if not, it's a cool cover in any rate. And I should point out, for those of you that are kind of confused, um, I don't know if they established this in the Silver Age or not until the Bronze Age, but Nightwing and Flamebird were originally Superman and Jimmy Olsen, which is a Silver Age story. Uh, they had a few adventures, but you know, they couldn't they were the superheroes of Kandor and they couldn't be in Kandor all the time so there's actually another Nightwing and Flamebird who are different, who are who are Kryptonians from Kandor that continue to fight the good fight in there, and that's who these guys are. In fact, for a while I think they actually had a feature in Superman Family. Hmm. Yes, um, there's a Jimmy Olsen story, a Superman story, a Lois Lane story, a Crypto story, Nightwing and Flamebird story, and Supergirl story. And it all appears to be a continuing thing, so that's kind of cool. 
Uh, let's see. Next superhero, and the final superhero book of the month. Wonder Woman number 245. Vengeance from Fire to Ice. And all we can see is Super uh, Supergirl. Wow. Wonder Woman deflecting some bullets with her bracelet, while Steve Rogers appears to be down on the, uh, you know, kind of laying down on the ground, trying to avoid them, and there's a plane flying, flying overhead. It's not bad. little plane, but not bad. It's a Joe State and Frank Giacoa cover. Giacoa? Giacoa? Something like that. Uh, so that's it. Those are the, all the issues that came out uh, in the month of April 1978. And so that's it for my portion. Next up, we have Superboy in the Bronze Age, brought to you by a man whose milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, J. David Weeder. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. said Mongo, Dindy. That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limson.com God, Johnny, I know nothing about comics. Do I have a solution for you? Hmm. Riddle me your solution, good sir. You know what a podcast is, Knox? What? A podcast. It's like a radio show, but it's on the internet. And people talk about things. Don't say. Well, here's my thought. What if we did a podcast about geek stuff? Genius! Right? So, here's my thoughts. I bring some sort of geek thing to the table, we both read or watch it, then we cover it from my perspective of being a geek my whole life, and your perspective of, well, not. I like it. I like it a lot. Alright. But what shall we call this podcast of ours? I think I've got it. How to make a geek in 60 minutes! How to make a geek in 60 minutes. With Knox Van Horn and Johnny Fryer. in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. Superman, homepage.com.
The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Hello, I'm J. David Weeder with Superboy in the Bronze Age, presenting randomly selected tales of Superman's younger days, including his canine sidekick, Crypto. Since I kind of did some of the, the bigger, more important team-ups with previous episodes, uh, kind of leaving the well a little bit dry, I decided to go with his sidekick in sort of the theme. So this round, we'll focus on Crypto, the Dog of Steel, and I'm looking at Superman Family 187 from January 1978, and a story entitled Double Trouble. It was written by Bob Toomey, with art by John Kalman, colors by Jerry Serpe, and letters by M. Waldinger. And we are greeted with an update that Crypto has fallen in love with a movie star dog named Chelsea, and since she's skittish about superpowers, Crypto has disguised himself as a regular dog named Jocko, who has a master in Mr. Ed Lacey. Oh yeah, Crypto makes movies too. <laughs> and the story opens to a uh, to play... With auditions, I'm sorry, to play Jocko, a.k.a. Crypto, stunt double. In fact, in a meta twist, Crypto is playing Crypto, but he's playing Jock, playing Crypto. You get it? Uh, Many dogs are auditioning, but Crypto is busy flirting with Chelsea. However, Chelsea brings over a Crypto lookalike named Max, and she has taken a shine to him, overlooking the real Crypto a bit. Awkward. Crypto and Ed visit with Jerome Crawley, the head of publicity, who rubs both of them the wrong way, and after the meeting, Ed notices that Jocko, or Crypto, is a bit down, and clues in that it must be because Chelsea is cavorting with Max. They're running around, being happy. The next day, Crypto attends a ceremony to put his paw print into cement, but Creepy Crawley is messing with his moment. While Crypto controls himself and refrains from biting Crawley, a sign with Crypto's picture falls almost hitting the publicist until Crypto moves him out of the way and shoves him right into the cement. So with Crawley's body imprint on the cement, Crypto signs his paw to that, and now he is immortal. As the Crypto movie begins filming, the scene is set for Chelsea to be rescued on a raft by Max to kind of drag it by rope down the river, but the water's too turbulent, so Crypto rushes in and saves the day, getting them both back to shore, but nobody sees him, and Max gets all of the credit. Ed is comforting the Dog of Steel, realizing that Crypto, what Crypto gave up, when Ed's sister, Mary Jo, rushes up. Her son has been accused of murder, and she needs Ed's help. Ed explains to Crypto that he has got to go help his nephew and can't stay around to help Crypto's cover his Jocko. In the end, Crypto realizes that Ed is his friend. Chelsea has found Max, and oddly, Crypto makes a lousy movie version of himself. So he goes off with Ed to help his friend in his time of need. Aww... You know, when I chose this story, I hadn't read it. I I wish I had. Um, It seemed like a good idea to do a crypto story, and I don't regret that, because it's cute. Um, There are a lot of things that we're walking right in the middle of, though. And the story is extremely short, but here we are. Really, it's hard to do a page-by-page, so I'm going to go scene-by-scene instead. Um, The scene with the various dogs performing to be Crypto's double is quite funny, We have a dancing poodle and a lab skittering across the floor. Another dog owner is getting dragged. And then in the background, I see a teeny tiny Westie or Chihuahua or something. 
it's actually cute. Uh, it does set a, to- a more childlike tone to this. And Chelsea digging on the crypto lookalike is just a stab to the heart. Um, Jerome Crawley, the publicist, makes me think of Mort Weisinger. And I sincerely wonder if that was intentional. But I do like Ed Lacey. This is a new character for me. And we learn that he is a detective. And he plays out as such because he puts the pieces as to why Crypto is upset about Chelsea together. Um, without, you know, no verbal, no verbal communication, obviously, since Crypto can't talk. Um, the scene where Crypto saves Crawley was a bit extraneous, but I can't help but laugh at that. And, of course, we get Crypto heroically saving the day, but Max getting on the credit. And that really made me sad. That's right, this story made me emote. And that says something, that uh, this sort of lighter fare type story actually made me feel bad for Crypto. And for Ed, as his sister arrives in hysterics. I mean, that changed the tone a bit. But the story sets the right vibe for me, because Crypto sticks with his friend rather than chasing the girl, and I dig that. If anything, this made me want to flesh out my Superman family run to look at the storyline as a whole and fill in the gaps. Uh, the art and character design for Ed is excellent. Uh, gets a bit cartoony when it comes to Crawley, uh, but this adds a lot to this anthology book, Superman Family, and I may jump on mycomicshop.com to track down some back issues. Uh, but that rounds out this installment. Next time, in the vein of team-up month, the one major Superboy team-up I haven't mentioned. Because we've had Batman, we've had Aquaman, uh, we prepared for a certain emerald-clad hero to appear in retro form. Join us in two weeks to find out. Until then, I am J. David Weeder, and I'm going to hand it back to Charlie Niemeyer to wrap this thing up nice and neat like a Christmas package. All right, thanks, David. And that'll do it for yet another episode of Superman of the Bronze Age. Make sure to come back in just two short weeks for the thrilling conclusion of our first issue of Team Up Month. You didn't really think I'd leave you hanging, did you? Uh, So until then, and on behalf of J. David Weeder, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman of the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.